Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm fired up for today's episode with the one and only Jack Canfield. Jack, you'll likely know, uh, is author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which has sold probably the most amount of copies, a second only to the Bible. Uh, it sold over 500 million copies in terms of the uh, the Chicken Soup series, so it's done incredibly well. He's also a, a super inspiring speaker and just an all-around great human. And I had the chance to sit down with him and deep dive into life purpose and a variety of topics I think you'll find compelling. So really excited today for, for Jack Canfield. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please go ahead and leave us a review uh, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening um, and a rating. If you if you have any feedback, you're always welcome to hit me up at michael at peakmind.org. Um, really pushing to, uh, to get a number of reviews because it helps us move up in the algorithm, which means that the show gets listened to by more people, which is the whole intention. We want to serve as many folks as possible. So thank you so much for listening. Today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic is actually right in front of me as we speak. I'm currently drinking the latte. This morning I had their Lion's Mane coffee. Um, I drink mate. All their, their entire product line I'm a huge fan of. I also use their skincare line, which is literally edible, uh, so you know it's clean ingredients. But couldn't recommend the brand more. I absolutely love their stuff. It's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com, Four Sigmatic. And if you put in peak, uh, backslash peak, you'll get 15% off uh, your purchase. Love them. Today's episode is also brought to you by Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And I use a variety of their products. I use their green juice, which gives me basically all the nutrients I need uh, if I don't have sort of a fresh green smoothie if I'm traveling. Uh, I also like to do their whole complete protein before uh, or after a workout, sometimes as a meal replacement. Really like their high quality, all organic product. Um, and I'm about to start trying their BDNF le- uh, lemonade brain-derived neurotropic factor. So really love where they're going as a company. Uh, put in Peak Mind at checkout and you get 20% off your order. And uh, so please check out Organifi for Sigmatic. Go ahead and leave us a review over um, where, wherever you're listening. And without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Jack Canfield. with uh, Jack Canfield. Jack, it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. My pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Yeah. And you have uh, obviously had an incredible career and done many things, but amongst them is authoring uh, the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which now is how many hundreds of millions of copies? 500 million copies in 47 languages. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say that did pretty well. Yeah, it did. (laughs) It's still doing well. Yeah. What uh, is it? Is, is there any book that sold more copies? I think the first one sold about ten in in America. I don't have all the overseas numbers. Probably being the first book, it probably sold more than the others. Yeah. But uh, women sold, pet lovers sold eight million copies. Teenage sold eight million copies. Wow. Um, it's uh, it, you know it 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 was a message at the right time and the right need in the culture where people it was the first book was published in 1993. 
and it was a recession going on. It was the beginning of the Gulf War. It was a hopelessness, resignation, fear in the culture. And um, it was like people needed something that was uplifting and inspiring. So the stories are all universal. They talk about love, self-esteem, overcoming obstacles, going for your dreams, death and dying, you know, common human themes. And they're short. They're like two to five pages long so people can absorb one before they go to bed while they're on the subway, before dinner, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, and kids, I remember this one teenager comes up to me at a book signing at a high school and she's got little post-its sticking out of every page, you know, and she said, this is the story I read when my girlfriends, if their boyfriends break up with them. This is the story I read if their parents are mean. This is the story I read. You know, it's like, yeah. So, and, and I'm meeting people here today. We're, we're at a conference here where you're recording me. And, and people will come up and say, you know, I, I had to read your book in the seventh grade. And I think, oh my God, it's been that long. <laughs> <laughs> it's evergreen. Yeah. 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 I, I also read it uh, in my youth, actually. And, I think what's wonderful is the accessibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's so much need for a, a message that's simple enough and universal enough mm-hmm. to be so widely appreciated. And yeah, I acknowledge you for, for creating that kind of a cut through message. Well, we know that stories Velcro to people's minds. You know, they, they stick. Yeah. That's why we, we, we're, we're a storytelling culture. That's why movies and TV shows, why, why we get glued to them. Once it starts, we want to see how it ends. Yes. And, but, but really good films like E.T. and Star Wars and things like that, there's great messages embedded in those movies that are going directly into the unconscious. And that's what I think was, was true with Chicken Soup for the Soul. Each of those stories had a principle or a, a, a value, a belief embedded into the story that left people knowing hey, I can do that. If they can do that, I can do that. Right. Maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe I can't handle it. I am strong enough, you know. Yeah, it's it's like the Star Wars is that sort of classic archetypal sort of Joseph Campbell hero's journey, right? Yes, and exactly. So it's, like you said, cultures throughout time and memorial have been t- telling their own versions of that narrative. Right. And, and you're, you've created something that is incredibly universal. One of the things that, that, that inspires me is the notion of of mindset because I think mm-hmm. I just actually listened to your talk, uh, which was really powerful. Thank you. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, so many people now, one of the big differences between now and say even 93 or, you know, a hundred years ago is think time seems to be moving much more rapidly, right? It's no longer measured by the rising and setting of the sun. It's tweets and, you know, inundation of information. And, mm. and in, in that context, I think people, many people feel ungrounded or lost or mm-hmm. um, not living their highest version of their lives. And I know that's something that, that you've worked on right. for, for some time. Could you share a little bit about some of the tips or, or tools, techniques you, you employ to help? Well, the, the first thing is to realize time doesn't move faster. Time is the same always. An hour yeah. takes an hour. What's moving faster is the amount of stimulation that we're mm. getting, the amount of input that we're receiving, which is overwhelming for most of us. But for me, I think what's really critical if we want to be successful, and everyone defines success differently. You know, I used to define it as like you know, money, fame, fortune, impact, all that. Now I define it as fulfilling your soul's purpose. Mm-hmm. That I believe each of us has a unique purpose for which we were designed to fulfill. Some of us are meant to be athletes. Some of us are meant to be chefs. Some of us are meant to be doctors, healers, architects, interviewers, fundraisers, social activists. You know, I'm an inspirational speaker and transformational trainer. We need everybody. And my belief is that when everybody does what they're meant to do, what's wanting to come through them, what they feel that drive, that dream, that, that, that oh, I want that, that desire, that then every function will get filled. You know, we'll have all the healers and the transportation and everything we need. The problem is most of us have been talked out of it 
or we've been, you know, wounded out of it, if you will, in our childhood. Um, had a doctor who was uh, had headaches all the time, was miserable, backaches, headaches. And he grew up in a family where everyone was a doctor. Parents were doctors, uncles were doctors, his four brothers and sisters were doctors. He didn't really want to be a doctor. He wanted to work on cars, <laughs> which was kind of beneath the station of that family. Yeah. So he was an anesthesiologist, which I thought was interesting. Let's go numb out, <laughs> you know. But anyway, he uh, I finally convinced him in, in our work that we did, I was his coach at the time, to to pursue being a mechanic. And he opened a high-end garage working on high-performance cars like Porsches and Mercedes, which kept him in the same range as his peers. But the headaches went away, the, you know, the back pain went away, all that stuff. So he was somatizing his unhappiness yeah. in his body. And so we have to first give ourselves permission to want what we want, to be attracted to what we're attracted to, to give ourselves permission to say, yeah, my brother might be a physicist, but I, I like to play video games. And we now see some people playing video games become the guys who are running the drones in the Air Force, you know, without sure. that ability to make those quick decisions. Now, video games can also be a distraction. They can be a way of numbing out. Right. But the point is that give yourself permission to really be you, you know, and then once we've done that, you have to make a decision. What is this me wanting to do? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to contribute? What do I want to experience? So it's called goal setting. You know, I invite people to make a list of 101 things you want to be, do, and have before you die. Mm. And I call it a bucket list now. It used to be called a, a wish list. But everyone I know who's done that, most of the people I know who are in their 70s, 80s now, have accomplished like 90% of the things that were on their list. Because without a list of where I want to go and what I want to experience, there's nothing to provide momentum and direction in your life. Once I have that, then I have to make a decision. Am I willing to take 100% responsibility for my life? And most people don't. You know, They want to blame the government, blame Obama, blame the Tea Party, blame the do-nothing Congress. You know, But the point is, that we're, we're, we're not doing the thing that gets us where we want to go. So I teach this little formula, E plus R equals O. Mm -hmm. There's events in your life, you respond to those events, you create an outcome. Everything you're currently experiencing is an outcome of how you responded to an earlier event. I put food in front of you, you eat it. If it's chocolate cake, you, your brain cells explode, you put on fat on your body. If I put the chocolate cake in front of you and you choose not to eat it, you're healthier, you don't put on the weight. I give you $1,000, you go and you party in Vegas. Well, nothing much got out of that other than a weekend of fun. I give you $1,000, you invest it in yourself or some cause you care about or put it in a mutual fund. A year later, your net worth went up. Right. So all these, we always have a decision to make. So look at your life now and say, is this what I want to be living? What decisions did I make? What choices did I make? What thoughts did I think? What images did I hold? What actions did I take or not take that produced this? And so I say, if, if you can take to the place where you go, I created this, 100% responsible, mm -hmm. that gives me the power to uncreate it and recreate it. If I blame you for it, my parents, if they hadn't been alcoholics, or if that judge hadn't done this, or if that teacher hadn't wounded my ego, you know, whatever, sure. then I'm, I'm a victim. I can't be responsible. So that's a huge decision. First decision, be yourself. Second decision, what do I want? Third decision, am I willing to take 100% responsibility for my life? And then once you do that, if you're willing, no blaming, no complaining, no excuse making, then what are the strategies and tools that keep my mind focused, that keep me active and doing the things I need to do? Mm. So for the mind, we need to be exposed to positive people. Yes. You know, you become the people you hang out with. They say the five you surround yourself with the most, yeah. Yeah, and like, think about this. Your parents probably told you as a kid, I don't want you hanging out with those kids. They're a bad influence. Well, guess what? 
it doesn't stop when you're 18. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. You know? So basically, we want to make we want to be around people that are goal oriented, spiritual, healthy, you know, you know, supportive, affirming, validating, all of that. The second thing is we want to make sure that we're reading things that uplift us. We're watching television that uplifts us, like things like this, as opposed to you know Freddy Krueger for the third time on Elm Street, you know, whatever sure. it is. We want to stop watching the negative news. You know, CNN, someone said, says constantly negative news, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we can make you know, initials for Fox and MSNBC, whatever. But the point being that it doesn't uplift us. The people you hang out with, the things you read, the music you listen to. You know, the old saw, what do you get when you play a country song backwards? You get your house back, your job back, your wife back, your truck back, <laughs> you get out of prison, you know, whatever. And so is your music lifting you and inspiring you? And then it's like, once I have a positive environment, I've taken responsibility for my life, then I look to what I call this, the, 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 the combination lock to success. If I give you a combination lock and I give you the combination and you do it correctly, the lock will open. I don't care if you're eighth grade, 25 years old, 100 years old, white, black, young, old, male, female, graduated, didn't graduate, you can unlock the lock. The problem is, most people are going through life missing numbers or they have the numbers in the wrong order. And so you, you can work really hard to open that lock, but if you're missing a number, it's never going to open. open right? So we're mostly ignorant about what it takes to be successful. I interviewed 75 of the most successful people in, in North America, and I looked at what was the pattern for all of them. I looked at my own life as well to start with. And there's a pattern. There's a system of, and I call it a system because a system is something when you do it, it's consistently done, you're going to get a consistent result. You know, if I bake my mother's apple pie and I preheat the oven and I don't substitute this for that, I get the same pie every time. Mm -hmm. But if I change one thing, don't preheat the oven, right? It doesn't happen. And so we need to know that there is a science of success, if you will. Now, this success can be applied to anything, social change can be applied to getting elected politically, can be applied to having positive relationships, can be applied to health, can be applied to your golf score, you know, whatever it is that you're going to define success for you to be. And then when you have that, then we can move through these things. The first thing is after taking 100% responsibility, surrounding yourself with positive people and positive things, is to clarify your life purpose. We talked about purpose. What is your the purpose? Vision, yeah. There are, well, it's before vision. Oh, purpose. Okay. Purpose, my purpose is to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a purpose. My vision for accomplishing that is to have a million trainers teaching my work, mm -hmm. to have a billion books sold that teach this work. That's my so vision. So it's the what that it comes after the why. Yeah. What does it look like if I get there? Mm -hmm. You know, my perfect world, if you will. Yeah. Then we go from vision to goals. Okay, we get measurable now. Okay. So, you know, what do I want by when? And most people say, well, I'd like to live by the ocean. But which ocean? By when? Specific and Specific, yeah. What kind of house? 5,000 square feet? 2,000 square feet? Whatever it is. Your brain, people come up to me all the time and say, I, I want more money. I give them a dollar. These are executives and companies. They go, well, I want more than that. I said, well, how was I supposed to know? You didn't tell me a figure. And the universe works the same way. Until you tell your subconscious and the universe, which you're simultaneously are picking up your, your thoughts, nobody knows. And so you've got to be specific. If I'm living in Kansas and say I want to live on the ocean, I don't know whether to go east to the Atlantic or west to the Pacific. Right. But once I make a commitment 
then I can start to, my, my, my subconscious mind will start coming up with solutions and I can start seeing things in my environment that will support me. Once I have the vision and the goals, then I have to believe it's possible. And that's where beliefs, affirmations, reading positive things, that other people, biographies. My first mentor, W. Clement Stone, was worth $600 million in the 1970s. And he would be a billionaire by today's inflation standard. And he read an autobiography a week of famous people. It kept him inspired, whether it was you know, Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Edison or Jefferson or whatever. So we need to have a model of where, what it is we want to go that tells us this is possible to do. You know, that I have a chapter in my book, The Success Principles, all about all these people who became famous and successful and impactful who never graduated college. You know, Dick Cheney never graduated college. Bill Gates never graduated college. Uh, Michael Dell never graduated college. But they're all billionaires and doing well and so forth. Sure. So all these beliefs we have about it's not possible, we need to get that out of there and believe it's possible. And then we have to have a plan. Now, plans don't always work out exactly what you want. But without a plan, there's no next step. And I always tell people, if you just get the next couple of steps, that's a plan. Start. You know, you don't have to see the whole road when you get started. Because the metaphor I do, if you're driving at night, your headlights go, what, a couple hundred yards ahead? That's all you can see. But if you drive that, then you see the next 200 yards, then the next 200 sure. yards, the it's next 200 yards. Yeah. It's iterative. And so the key is just keep taking the next steps that are obvious. And here's a big thing for most people. I was doing down in Texas, I was uh, on a morning talk show. And this woman's interviewing me. And I'm before I'm in the makeup room, and I said to the makeup artist, as I always do, I said, what's your, what's your dream? Mm. And she said, oh, I want to own my own salon. I said, that's beautiful. What are you doing to make that happen? Nothing. I said, it's a bad strategy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to get you there. She said, I don't know what to do to do that. I said, I have a really radical idea. She said, what's that? I said, find somebody who owns a salon and ask them how they did it. Yeah. And she went, wow. That's really good. I'll see parents all the time who say, I don't know what to do. My kid wets his bed. Do you have any ideas? I'd say, have you ever gone to Amazon and look for a book on stopping bedwetting? No. In other words, people are not looking for the answer because they've already decided they can't have it. So once you decide, and they decided they can't have it because they don't know how to do it. And a lot of things that we want to do, like go to the moon the first time, nobody knew how to do. But 99% of what everybody wants, someone's already done it. And as Tony Robbins likes to say, they've left clues. Mm -hmm. They've left manuals, books, franchise operation guides. They do seminars. They have YouTube videos, TED Talks, you know, whatever it is. So reach out. Ask. Find a mentor. Find a guide. Take a seminar. Hire a coach. You know, all these things are available to us. But it comes from the belief that this is possible to do. I deserve it. It's another thing that a lot of people believe they don't deserve. So we have to deal with our internal self-talk and our, our negative limiting beliefs. And then we go from that to, I've got a plan, now I've got to start taking action. And, and, and taking actions, what stops people is fear, fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of success, you know, all that kind of stuff. Fortunately, today we have things like EFT tapping, where we can tap on acupuncture points, and in seven to 10 minutes disappear most fears. We can go to therapy, we can do meditation, because all of our fears are created in our mind, they don't exist in the real world. So overcome the fear. And what I learned from taking a fire walk once with, with, with Tony was that all my fears, when I walked on the coals, I got to the other end, nothing happened, I didn't get burned. I'm sitting there at three in the morning, and I'm going, 
oh my God, what else have I been telling myself? Sure. I, was, I would burn up or I would die or whatever. I was like on a high for like three weeks. I, I couldn't come <laughs> down. You know? I mean, I was just calling people and making the requests and everything. You know, uh, Fear kind of pretty much disappeared at that point. But if you have fear, I always say, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. You know, just feel the fear. It's a caution sign. It's not a stop sign. It's a caution sign. Slow down, pay attention, but don't stop. And then finally, once you're taking action, you're going to get feedback. All actions don't work. Ask for feedback. The most valuable question I've ever learned is this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate? Then you fill in the bank. This interview, me as a husband, me as your father, me as your teacher, me as your boss, this product, this service, whatever it might be. Anything less than a 10 gets a follow-up question. What would it take to make it a 10? Mm. And that's the most valuable information. Painful sometimes. You sure. know, I ask my wife that every two weeks. And um, I've, really? I've gotten as low as a four. <laughs> <laughs> you know, put the kids to bed without me telling you, you yeah. know. Um, don't interrupt me when I'm telling a joke because you think you can tell the punchline better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't, don't criticize my cooking, you know. Yeah. Um, she once said, have you ever heard of foreplay? I said, yes. She said, you might want to revisit that concept, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is it takes vulnerability. But here's the thing that most people don't realize. If I'm married to you, let's say, or you're my wife, and I ask you the question, and you say five, I learn something I can do to make it better. Mm-hmm. If I don't ask, I'm the only one that doesn't know. Mm-hmm. She's told her mother, her sister, her girlfriends, people at Starbucks, people at the, the, the you know, Whole Foods, whatever it might be. They can't fix it. I can't. So I have to be courageous enough to be committed enough to want to have a 10 relationship, to have a 10. Chicken Soup for the Soul books, one of the reasons it was so successful is that we had every story read by 40 people once it was submitted, graded on a scale of 1 to 10, put it on an Excel spreadsheet, we get an average. Any story less than an 8.9 never got published. Never got published. Stories I wrote never got published. You know, so stories. We measured everything. We measured everything. And why? Because I want to make sure it works. I wanted black, white, young, old, Republican, Democrat, liberal, urban, suburban, rural, teenagers, retired, you know, working. If it, if it made it a nine or above with all those people, I knew I had a universal story. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a universal book. And you find anybody, I don't care who they are. They read Chicken Super the Soul, they love it. And so that, it was, you want to constantly be improving all the time. And you can't get better without feedback. If you went bowling and you threw the wall, ball down the, the lane and it went underneath a blanket like this, you heard a lot of noise, then a ball came back. You have no idea what happened. How long would that be fun? <laughs> Not very long, no. Not very long, exactly. So basically the idea is we want to have feedback so we can improve. Mm-hmm. You know, put more twist on the ball, you know, whatever, let go of it sooner, straighten my arm. And then it's called persevere. Never, ever, ever give up. Don't ever give up. You know, as I've, you heard me say this morning, Chicken Soup for the Soul, rejected by 144 publishers over the course of 14 months. Had I given up after 100, you wouldn't know me. I wouldn't be sitting here. None of this would be happening. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the basics. I mean, there's more things. There's nuances, support groups, accountability partners, mm-hmm. mastermind groups, hiring a coach, lots of things you can do. But that's the basics. And if you do that in that order and you visualize and, and affirm your success, I did leave that part up, Every day, close your eyes and visualize your goal as if it's already achieved. 
and do an affirmation. I'm so happy and grateful that I'm now earning 100000 a year. I'm so happy and grateful that we've solved hunger in our county. I'm so happy and grateful that, my, that I'm graduating with my PhD degree, whatever it is. And then visualize that. Do that for 30 days. It puts a blueprint in the mind that allows creativity to come up. It allows perception to widen. So I start seeing resources I never saw before. And it's sending a message to the universe. Your thoughts travel a minimum of 125,000 miles or 250,000. We know that because that's the distance to the moon. We've done astronauts uh, experiments with people on the moon. They open up an envelope. There's a shape in there. They don't know what it is. They just randomly pick an envelope, put the number down. They look at it for a minute, and students down at Duke University close their eyes, meditate, and they get the answer. 250,000 miles away. So we know without amplification, your thoughts are going out. So think of every thought you think is like sending out an email, spam, to the entire universe. And that's why you sit down, as I did one day, next to a woman on a plane, or bus actually, and she said, "Um, who are you? I said, Jack Canfield, chicken soup and soul guy. I said, yeah, what are you up to? We made a goal to sell a million books in one day. She said, I can help you do that. I said, get out of here. What are you doing? She said, I'm the buyer for the W.H. Smith bookstores, which are in most of the airports in America. And she said, we'll have a book signing, and we'll have you guys on the East Coast, Boston, New York, Baltimore, Washington, Miami, Atlanta. We'll do a book signing from 6 to 7, 8 o'clock. We'll put you on a plane, fly you to Chicago. You know, we'll have all your co-authors, because we have a lot of co-authors do this. And we'll just keep flying you across the country until you end up on the West Coast. We'll have an airline partner. We'll have a hotel partner. And we can sell a million books in one day. And I'm going like, whoa, why would you help me do that? She said, she called me dummy. She said, dummy. She said, if I sold a million books in one day at W.H. Smith Bookstores, you don't think my boss would think I was a hero? (laughs) (laughs) Created a nice win-win. Yeah. And we had been, we had actually set a goal to sell a million books in one day, just for the fun of it, Mm -hmm. just for the fun of it. Could we do it? And that happened 30 days later after visualizing that every day. Mm. And that's the kind of thing, it it literally, it's, it's, it's like directing the outer world from your inner space, and then things start to show up, and in in, my wife calls them synchromystical hmm. events. And what you're also training the grooves in your mind. I mean, Olympic yes. athletes even are, are visualizing. I mean, I, I literally have watched before the Olympics, you know. Yes. The, you know, the bobsled team, literally. I can, and you can see them because like, they like, actually start moving yeah, through exactly. the course. Yeah. Um, so, so let me ask you this question. What is, what is if, if you were to say, I mean, there's, there's so much richness to the information you shared. If you were to say, one thing that's super helpful is the notion of, of visualization, obviously accountability partners. Mm-hmm. Um, is there one thing, if there's one thing that you would add to your life, like if you could, if you could distill it down to say, the, starting tomorrow, I'm going to do this. One thing that you add to your life and one thing you take away okay. that would have the most transformative impact, what would sure. you recommend? That's like asking me if I could only keep one organ in my body. <laughs> which one would I keep? And still have my body work. It doesn't work like that. Okay. So my answer would be to make it more inclusive. And it doesn't have to be my book. It could be Tony Robbins' book, Brian sure. Trey's book, whatever. But study the thing you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Make a study. Read for 20 minutes. Read for an hour. Every day, read about the thing you want to achieve. So whether it's my book, The Success Principles, or Tony Robbins' Own Limited Power, or his book on money, whatever it is. Last night at this conference that we're at, Quincy Jones said, there's a science to everything. Mm-hmm. Someone said, God, you make movies, you make books, you, 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 you produce television shows, you, uh, you know, all these things, and you're really good at it. He said, I studied it. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned the course he went and took for like six months at UCLA yeah. on movie production. You know? And he said, there's a science to everything. 
you know, I didn't sell a, billion, a half a billion books without studying how do you sell books. Mm -hmm. I interviewed the best-selling authors in America and said, how did you do that? What did you do? Yeah. And we, we talked to advertising people and marketing people. I studied it. Okay, so the thing is, once you decide to commit to something, study it, study health, study relationships, read John Gray's books on men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know, in other words, don't think that you're just naturally going to know everything. You know, if you meditate a lot, a lot of that will come through intuitively, sure. but it really is important to make a study of the thing you want. So I teach this thing called the hour of power, 20 minutes of meditation, 20 minutes of reading, 20 minutes of morning exercise, routine? morning routine. Beautiful. And if you just do those three things, you'll be healthier, wealthier, and wiser. Mm -hmm. All take you 20 minutes a day. People say, oh, I don't have 20 minutes. I say, I bet you're watching at least an hour and a half of television a day. Yeah, you can cut that out. And if you cut out an hour of TV a day, that gives you 365 additional days a year. Divide that by a 40-hour work week, that's 9.25 weeks. Mm -hmm. That's two and a half extra months for you to become an expert in whatever it is you want, as opposed to knowing can tell you all the people in the cast on Grey's Anatomy. You know what I mean? What, sure. You get a choice. What, what is it? Yeah, what, what are you choosing? Yes. Right, exactly. So uh, a morning routine, I mean, that seems, and, and what, one thing that came for, up for me while you were talking is I know that, that you're, you're a friend of Tim Ferriss, and he talked about, before he launched his podcast, mm -hmm. you know, he talked to all, all these the top people doing podcasts. Obviously, yes. he'd been very successful as an author. He'd been successful mm -hmm. in a variety of different fields, but literally systematically studied it, and, and now he has arguably the most successful podcast because well, he talked to the it's, what's really interesting I mentored Tim yeah. and he when he first wanted to do his book he actually hired not hired me asked me to come and speak to the Silicon Valley Association of Startup Entrepreneurs yes. and the only reason he did it invited me there was because he could take me out to dinner afterwards and pump me for information on how to be a best selling <laughs> author genius which I thought was great we became great friends yeah. as a result of it and what he did with the podcasting he knew that podcasters were the new let's call it distribution system of the planet right now. And so he said, I'm going to become a podcaster, so I'll be respected by podcasters. He went to the podcasting uh, conference, met everybody, started forwarding their podcasts to his students, and then he asked them if they would podcast about his book because now he had developed credibility. And one of the things we talk about in terms of networking is you want to have visibility, credibility, before you go to profitability. And a lot of people will come to you and say, oh, you're really good. you got all these things. Would you, would you do a mailing for me? You don't even know who they are. Yeah. So you have no visibility. They haven't done anything for you like he did for them. Sure, now he had credibility. Yeah. And then he could go and ask them for something for profitability. So again, it's a system mm -hmm. of how do you work in that world of networking. Yeah. Genius. Um, one thing you talked about in your in your speech this morning uh, was around complaining, mm -hmm. which I thought was really powerful. Can you share a little bit more about um, your kind of rule as it relates to complaining? Well, we have a rule in my company. If anyone complains about anything, it's a $2 fine on the spot, including me. And I've gotten fined occasionally, not very often. Uh, our new hires lose a lot of money in the first month. <laughs> <laughs> All the money goes to charity. Yeah. Um, but we want to show them there is a cost when you complain. There's a cost when you blame. There's a cost when you judge. There's a cost when you make excuses. So all those are $2 fines that are going Complaining is a response. When we go E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. Something happens, now I complain. That complaining does not produce a better result, better outcome. Complaining, here's the cool thing about complaining. In order for me to complain, I have to have a reference point about something better. Have you ever heard anyone complain about gravity? No. Why not? There's nothing better. There's no alternative. Right. You don't see an 80-year-old with a walker and they go, I hate gravity. If it wasn't for gravity, I wouldn't be all bent over like this. 
They don't complain because there's no alternative, sure. right? So what happens is the moment you're complaining, it means you have a reference point of something better. So if I'm complaining about my wife, maybe being the food Nazi or something, then I, I probably know some woman who lets her husband eat everything, mm. cooks you know, wonderful food for him that I think I know better to eat now. But you know, if I'm complaining about that, it's because I have this reference point. And I always say, if every woman on the planet died tomorrow, except my wife, would I complain about her? No. There's no, there's no other woman that I could have that would be better. Yes. She's it. Yes. Probably hire the head of SEAL Team 6 to come in and protect me. <laughs> you know? But the point is, you, you never hear people complain about the things that don't have an alternative. And so I'd rather complain than take the risk to create what I want. Mm-hmm. I'd have to talk to my wife, go to couples therapy. She, if I can compl- talk about her, she might have something she wants to complain about with me, you know? Sure. So I have to, if you complain about the weather, why? Because we know there's better weather in Hawaii or there's better weather in Tucson. So what? Get on a plane, go there, move there. Quit complaining about living in New England in the winter, you know? Yeah. So to that point, you talked as well about actually going for what you want. Yes. And stretching your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. What's the way in which someone who, who may be watching, a lot of people feel that sense of stuckness mm-hmm. um, and have, and maybe they've gone as far as to declare their purpose, their vision, um, mm-hmm. but they feel held back by fear. How does one start to expand the context of their comfort zone and ideally stretch, stretch well, into the, the, the new The, the new most way powerful way to stretch your comfort zone is visualization. You start visualizing the thing you want that's outside of your comfort zone. Like the first time I ever bought an expensive shirt, I moved to California. I was I was I I, I was kind of a half hearted hippie when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Had a beard and long hair and all that. Moved to California, shaved my beard off, got a job at a training company, and the head trainer takes me to this store called Allendale's. The shirts are one hundred and thirty five dollars. I've been buying like thirty dollar Nordstrom shirts. And I bought one because I didn't want to look like I was a wuss, right? I was so nervous. I was sweating inside. I couldn't believe I was spending that much money. And then a couple days later, I try it on. I wear it. It's better than all my other shirts. Comes back for the laundry. first one I ever wear. Mm-hmm. A couple months later, I buy a second shirt, third shirt, right? But I had to stretch out of that comfort zone because it was very uncomfortable for me. Now, had I gone inside and visualized going into that store and buying that shirt 30 times, now when I did it in real life, it's not a stretch because I've already rehearsed it so many times. I'm used to it. Yeah. So by me rehearsing in my mind, being assertive, asking for what I want, uh, giving a speech to a group, um, making a sales presentation, talking to my boss, asking for a raise, asking this woman to marry me, whatever it is, then it's not so scary anymore because I've already done it so many times I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. It takes the fear out of it. The brain begins to go, oh, we can do that. We've done it a whole bunch of times. And so that stretches the comfort zone. The second thing that stretches the comfort zone is actually doing it. Now, sometimes you don't have to do the big step. Like, say, like buying an expensive car would be out of most people's comfort zones. But could you go to the Mercedes dealer or the Lexus dealer and just test drive the car? Mm-hmm. I would like to test drive this car. I think I might be wanting to buy one. I'm looking at Lexus and Mercedes and you know Audi, whatever. And they've never sold anyone out. They don't go, can I see your black American Express car? I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. think you should do this. Um, and so I tell people, like, well, I want to stay at the risk home, but I can't afford it. Well, go have a drink in the lobby. Mm. Just go hang out. Go Start tell them, go tell them your, 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 your daughter or sister is going to get married there, and you want to see the bridal suite to see if it's good enough for your family. Mm. They'll take you up and they'll see it. You get, you get used to being in that space. And so basically that's the main thing. And then take baby steps if you have to, but keep stepping. Mm. You know, Stretch as far as you can, but not so far you freeze. Mm. That's the key. Break it down into manageable steps. 
And is there anything that you would recommend in terms of the accountability partners or, or support network that can help you um, move through that process? Yeah, I'll give you an example. My 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 ex-wife, she uh, wanted to run a workshop for couples, and so she was really, really, really scared to make the phone calls. Mm. And so she called up her friend Stephanie and said, Stephanie, can you come over and hold my hand while I make the phone calls? And so she made three or four phone calls. Nothing bad happened. Two couples said yes. And she said, you can leave now. (laughs) (laughs) But she needed that support. The real value of an accountability partner is holding you accountable. Mm -hmm. We now have research from about seven different studies that show when you set a goal, if you write it down, it increases about 13% the amount of success you're going to have. If you tell someone that you're doing it, you made a public declaration, goes up another like 20%. If you have tell someone and you hold it accountable, you have to give a weekly or daily report, mm-hmm. goes up another 23%. So basically, if you do all that, accountability is crucial. That's why solo entrepreneurs have such a hard time. The uncomfortable things they don't do because no one's telling them. If I tell my secretary, call Donald Trump and see if I can get an appointment, she has no choice. She's going to call Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But if I'm sitting there alone, well, you might say, no, I don't know. He's running, he's running for president. I don't know. You know, The point being that I have to have that accountability. So if you're my accountability partner, I call you every day for five minutes in the morning. I tell you the five things I'm going to do today. One of the things we teach is the rule of five. Commit to five action steps every day on your goal. Tomorrow, you're going to say to me, did you do those five things? Mm-hmm. After two or three days of telling you I didn't do number three, I can't even imagine calling you the next morning and saying I didn't do it. So I'm, I just I just barrel through. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, if the government didn't say hand you know pay your taxes by April fifteenth, which we do in America, we'd never get around to it. But sometime in the end of March, we get really really busy. The reason we get really busy is we know there's a deadline, mm-hmm. and so we want to have deadlines built in. And accountability partners, mastermind groups, coaches, mentors, they hold you accountable. And this is what's really critical to have someone in your life that can do that. Well, you've given us an incredible roadmap. Uh, I feel like I could ask you questions for days, but I know you're about to board a, a flight to Europe, so I want to make sure that you uh, that you make that plain. So thank you so much, Jack Canfield, and I very much look forward to our next conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do and bringing all these great ideas out to the world. It's a pleasure. Thank you. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jack Canfield. I know I did. Um, really inspired me on the context uh, of life purpose. Um, such an inspiring gentleman. I'm, I'm actually uh, working up the courage to write a book, and I uh, have been listening to him a bunch. If, if any of you are thinking about writing a book, I really recommend also checking out um, his podcast with Tim Ferriss, chuck full of, of super valuable information. Um, if you like the episode, please uh, rate and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It uh, means the world to me. And um, let me know your feedback. You can always hit me up anytime, michael at peakmind.org. I strive to make this as valuable as possible for you. So feel free to reach out anytime. And until next time, please go out there and live your inspired life.